Hello and welcome to season two of the Tim Masso podcast. Today we have good friend, Renaissance man, and the modern day savior of the ancient Chapek brand. This is CEO of Chapek, Xavier de Rochmorel. Welcome to the show. Hello, Tim. So happy to be uh, with you today. It's so, great to have uh, these ongoing meetings year after year. I think the last time we spoke was in Dubai a year ago. It, it was, and a lot has happened since then. By my count, you've got maybe six, seven, eight new models or versions of existing models this year. We'll definitely get to that. But for those who are new to our brand uh, here, let's just reintroduce Chapek to those who have not heard of it or who may be curious. The story starts in the 19th century and then it continues today. It takes back to the beginning. Um, so to make it very, very, very short, because I feel like everyone knows it, no? And uh, uh, you keep on asking me to repeat, but I'll do it. Okay, I'll play the game. 1811, Kingdom of Bohemia. You don't remember that name? Because today it's Czech Republic. Czapek uh, is born and then goes on to Poland. He lives in Warsaw. And he participated to an uprising of the Polish against their invader. And guess who it was? The Russians. Uh, after this uprising called the Varzavianka, that finished as a defeat for the Polish and in a bloodbath, all the Polish involved into uh, that rebellion flee away. And Chapek goes to Geneva, where he registers as a watchmaker and starts a company in 1833 with a guy called Nomoro. Antoine Norbert de Patek, that some of you might have heard of, uh, goes to the north of France and to Flanders and goes into uh, Geneva in 1836. The two, the two men become friends and they create a second company together, still with Moreau, uh, and they create a company called Patek, Chapek and Company. After six years of their partnership, they part away and Chapek is going to create his own company which is going to be uh, Chapek and, and company. And Antoine de Patek will have another uh, fate, which many people know. Um, then, if we look at Chapek in these early days, it's an immediate success. His new partner, uh, Julius Gruzewski, uh, is very well connected, opens the door of the, all the uh, uh, core in, uh, in Europe, he, Chapek becomes the, the watch of the crowned head. He becomes even the watchmaker of the emperor Napoleon III. He opens a boutique, the first watchmaking boutique to our knowledge in the Place Vendôme and opens a book about watchmaking uh, called Zegar Mistrovier, uh, which means the art of watchmaking in Polish. And then um, what's interesting is to see the development of that company where uh, he opens then a boutique in Poland, becomes grow bigger in Geneva, he's established Rue du Rhône. And, uh, and then in 1870, goes to France where there is the commune in Paris and everything uh, falls down. You know, it's, uh, it's a rebellion that ends up also in a, in a bloodbath and he flees away, the shop is closed and we lose his trace. So it's mysterious end. And then in 2008, a guy called Arigoul finds the name Things that's an interesting story. In 2012, he, he revives it, he registers it with his dad. Uh, no, so he's a, with a friend of his dad. And a friend passes away, he looks for a new partner. He finds a guy who is unemployed, and that's me. So if you're unemployed, smile and wait for the coin to be to be flipped again and grab the opportunity. And then I bring in 
uh, a new uh, third partner. And so the three musketeers, uh, Harry, uh, Sebastian, the watchmaker, and myself, uh, restart the company with $10,000 in the account. So it's quite a, a nice story. And uh, and so uh, um, we, uh, we start working on new models and with three ideas in mind, first one is to be founded by other watch lovers. Second one is to create a, a collection that will grow in time in terms of complication and value, which is opposite of the logic that we tend to, uh, our luxury brands tend to apply, but it's okay to not follow the rules, especially if you're a startup. It's actually uh, a survival rule for a startup is to not follow the rule. Uh, that's the only one you have, you know? And then uh, the third direction was to be true to Chapek. And so to try to make watches as if he was alive today, young, fresh, with a lot of ideas, with 200 years of experience, but still very young. So we, we make the watches always thinking about what would Chapek make today? Would that be a watch that he, he, would, he would fall in love with? And that's the way we uh, we we work. So that's the, that's the early beginnings of uh, of Chapek. And today we are here in a moment where the company is maybe not anymore a startup. It's been growing uh, quite a lot, especially this year. And uh, and it's a new uh, it's a new challenge for us. Yes, and I I dearly appreciate that you recited this for us because those of you out in cyberspace listening, uh, we actually lost the signal on the first attempt at this podcast, and uh, he's been a real champ because this is probably the third time now I've asked him that question. So thank you, Xavier. Um, I hopefully was a bit better. Oh no, no, no! It's good. It's good. But with the rehearsal, it gets better every time. So I enjoy hearing it. Now, specifically, you wanted to make sure that you didn't have one large investor. You wanted it to be crowdsourced to a large extent. Uh, talk a little bit about how that worked, because as far as I can tell, this is a fairly unique situation for an upstart watch brand. It's it's even a fairly unique situation for, for companies in general. Uh, there are very few companies that have been a, such a success into crowdfunding equity and then into uh, uh, becoming a, a global brand. Um, so if we look back in England, because England was, I think, for business, more advanced country, especially in the 19th century and then the 20th century. In England, people would actually raise funds very easily because the, the, the legal market for raising funds were, was quite open. And so what crowdfunding equity is, is simply repackaging something that is simple, which is Hey, we make a company, it's Team and X, uh, and that's the company, and, and we sell shares, and you want to buy some shares? Okay, uh, just sign here and, and give me a, a $100, and you got one share of the company. And that, that was the way they were doing them. And now with internet, you can actually do that on a much broader way. Now, you have to respect the law of every market, which is complex. Because you're not in the commercial law anymore, you are in the uh, uh, company law. So it's uh, you cannot make a crowdfunding and ask for funds, and you know uh, the uh, is extract these funds for your benefits. You would go in jail, you know. So the sentence, if you if you do uh, wrong, is very hard. You know, it's really a crime. Okay, so you have to be very careful on the way you do it. But I would say Switzerland, England. 
Uh, USA is more regulated, but USA is also possible. Uh, are countries where you can raise funds if you follow uh, the the format, uh, the rules uh, of uh, of your country and of the countries where you, you raise funds. And, uh, and that was the way to do it. And we got plenty of people. We got what's lovers like us, which was the objective. We got we got a lot of entrepreneurs uh, who love the concept and were also loving watches. So it was a kind of a of a double uh, uh, double effect, double positive effect. We got people who were just curious about the way we were doing it and found that super cool. Um, and we got friends of friends. At the end, if you are uh, the CEO uh, uh, like me, you have to meet all of them personally and uh, and discuss with all of them because they need trust and so they need to see your face and they need to understand what you're doing but there is a hidden benefit i could see more than one but the hidden benefit is that when you want to convince people about investing in your company you have to open the books which is possibly the least <laughs> practice in switzerland for transparency you know it's like anything we can do anything, but just don't ask us for transparency. Uh, it's funny because for Switzerland in politics, it's very important to be transparent. For everything, it's very important to be transparent. But in watchmaking, this is like complete forbidden. It's a sin. Okay, it's a it's a capital sin. <laughs> no, you, I, I believe me, I understand that from the pre-owned side, I get even less transparency in the Swiss. Uh, but I will say this, though, you've come a long way from the start of watchmaking in 2015, when you actually started debuting and delivering products to today. You are just about inaugurating a new manufacturer this year. You're going from, I think, 180 watches per year to more like 800. Talk about that huge transformation, because that's one of the major changes since the last time we talked, that new factory in La Chaux de Fonds. Yes. So we opened it in uh, on April 20. Uh, we started working there. Uh, it, was, it was really fun. Um, and we are actually today, as I talked to you uh, about three hours ago, we were considering expanding again for the third time uh, the, the the rental space uh, because we need to uh, to we grow so much that we need to to expand ourselves and we want always to do it step by step because we we want to keep control yes which is the reason why uh, even though we had plans to make 800 watches this year it was not possible because we needed to keep the control on what we were doing and we were just not getting enough supply to uh, to uh, to make so many watches. So this moment of change is dramatic, is incredible, is uh, very difficult. Uh, because, you know, you increase so much, you suddenly realize that when you were ordering 100 of these components before, that was when you were going like that. Suddenly you go like this. By the time you realize you go like this, you need 200 components because you're ready faster. But then the trend shows you that you would need 400 components. So you're like, wow, I have to, to order 400. But then at the same time, this is the biggest supply chain crisis of the whole industry. So when people were telling you, oh, uh, today we, uh, we, uh, uh, we make uh, your components in 12 weeks, then that was yesterday. Today it's twelve months. This wow. is true. Even in Switzerland. Yeah, no, no. 
when we go to Switzerland, I don't know for the rest of the world, all our components are, are made here, I would say 98%. So, so 12 weeks, 12 months, so imagine the impact. So when before, for the same time, time you were supposed to order 400 components, you suddenly have to order 1,600 components. Okay? And so that's that's a change to which you are not prepared as a company. And this is the difficulty, which is to always reassess, uh, make intuitive calculation and reassess them every month because you see that what you said last month is not true anymore. And you have to, to be really fast on, on that, no? because if not, you suddenly get thousands of components, but you're missing one and you cannot deliver. Uh, and this is really the, 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 the challenge that we see. Now, so what we do is we phase, and basically we we came to the point where we're gonna we're gonna get uh, about a million in sale every month and and about a million in in supplies every month, which will help us grow uh, for the next year. Okay, so uh, this is this is the plan. But when you listen to me, you could be frightened, like, uh, wow, where is this going? So I want also to 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 explain that is this the difficulties to go. From from kid to teenager, okay. So you got a big. It's like we're fourteen years old, you know. Suddenly the, the guy and the girls are growing like like that in one or two years, and it's tough, you know. And that's exactly what we're living. But we're not aiming at becoming giants. This is not at all the idea. That the scarcity has a certain beauty, and that's what we want to remain. But we totally understand. We have not opened. Uh, uh, South America, we have we have nearly not opened China. Uh, we are opening very uh, uh, in very small dimensions uh, a lot of countries. We cannot continue to make uh, four hundred or eight hundred watches. We know because uh, our price point is about uh, thirty thousand. We know that we need to grow uh, to thousands of watches. And if you compare us with, with people who are going to have a price point more in the range of 150 to, to 300,000, then you understand why is this uh, so uh, different in terms of numbers. And that's logic. There are more people who actually can afford for a $30,000 uh, watch than for a $300,000 watch. So our demand is, is higher and we... We don't want to say no all the time. That's really a pain. So we it's just to find the right balance between being capable to say to people, yes, we understand you. You would like to have the watch. Yes, we will make it for you. Please be patient. But not don't don't ask them to be patient for ten years. This is ridiculous. Uh, ask them to be patient for months, maybe a year, a year and a half, maybe two years. That's really the maximum. We we aim at six months. That would be the ideal uh, scenario. And, and so that that's actually real relevant to a couple of questions I wanted to ask you about availability. We'll swing back to the manufacturer and some of the new features of, of your factory. Um, but I do want to ask, like, do you have waiting lists for the watches for, for the models beyond the, the Antarctique, the Kederberg and Place Vendôme? Yes, but there are waiting lists that are more linked to the increase in demand. Okay. So uh, the Antarctique, we have closed the books because we would have been killed by the increase. Uh, the uh, uh, Kedeberg and the Place Vendôme, we have received so many orders that we needed to adapt uh, and adjust 
uh, the production of the uh, Guilloche dials or or of the uh, enamel dials and etc. And at the same time, uh, all our uh, supplying partners have are having an increase in demand that is too steep. Okay, so this is what is creating this chaos. Uh, I think most of the people did not anticipate the reaction after the end of the COVID. And the the pickup has been so steep that this has created like, uh, yeah, and uh, uh, the su supply chain that was like an accordion back and forth crazy. And so you, you could never get what you wanted. So you have closed the books for the Antarctique, uh, but for how long? Is it for the year, for next year? We plan to reopen it during uh, Watches and Wonder uh, during the weekend. Uh, so in Watches and Wonder, from Monday to, to Friday, we'll meet our retailing partners, uh, including our American friends. And, uh, and then on Saturday, we'll reopen the book. Uh, so it will be normally Saturday, April 1st. I think it's an easy day to remember. <laughs> and, uh, yes. and, uh, and, and then we'll see how long it lasts. It might, la it might last only one day. You know, it's, it's probably going to be, um, again, a big wave. And we'll stop again and just to organize ourselves and, and go to the next level. So now... Closing the books is always a difficult decision to make. Um, at what point do you feel a waiting list becomes too long? Like at what point do you say, okay, eight months, 12 months, 18 months, this is too much. We're going to close the book. At what point do you say that it's time to uh, force a cooling off for a model line? I would say two years is, is, is really, really too long. I mean, we are small companies and we, uh, I don't, I don't know as a CEO to manage a company that has already sold uh, models that is going to deliver in two and plus years. So what's happening with the new models? We stop doing new models or we launch them and we say to people, no, no, in three years. Okay. Because in the end, you know, your watchmakers, they, the last thing they want to do is to do the same watch every day. So yeah. it's what you have is watchmaker time. Okay, so you can always tell them, do this watch or do that watch or do that watch. If you don't do that, that's really a strategic decision that you took. But that's not necessarily in the direction of the client. It's more in the direction that you think is better for the company. But it should be always a balance between the interest of the company and the interest of the client. So, so for me, we are going to have new models, for example, in Watches and Wonder, but most of them will be for the, the second half of 2024, because there is no way we can deliver uh, before that. Except, okay, there will be uh, one gold model for Christmas, uh, 23, uh, one surprise model also for, for Christmas 23, and one model that we'll do uh, with a watchmaker that is uh, a good friend of mine who lives in Neuchâtel, and he's taking care of, of everything for us. So, it's not adding a burden on our back, on the contrary. So as this is a plus, this will be able to be delivered in 2023. This is actually the way we've been starting working. And this is the beauty of it. We started working uh, following the idea of the établissage, which means you make people work in their farm, in their atelier, at their workbench, and 
you ask them to perform different tasks and you're like a like a orchestra director or a movie director actually with a crew that gets together for one movie and uh, and this is what we how we started because we had no team uh, uh very little experience uh really little, little resources but then with the crisis of the pandemic first that was a life-saving uh, uh, organization and with the growth is another life-saving organization because we tend to with our partners to divide the work so chronod is going to do uh, the rattrapante uh, so this uh, uh, gentleman in Neuchâtel is going to uh, to do the, the new model uh, the Kedeberg we will do also with Cronod partially and with another partner. So we organize everything and we keep fully in-house our, our Antarctic, which is uh, uh, really the model that uh, we always want to, to keep in our hands. It's like our uh, uh, most uh, precious uh, baby. And we're definitely going to talk about that in just a moment. But to explain for our audience listening, uh, tablissage is the traditional Swiss manufacturing practice of uh, buying pieces from highly qualified specialists and then building them under one roof. Vacheron Constantin, for its first 250 years, was an tablisseur, and this is how it built its watches. Um, today, very few brands are willing to admit freely that they do this. Um, which makes Chapek's model of acknowledging chronode for movements or metalem for dials or a watchmaker like Emmanuel Boucher for movement consulting. It's very unusual that you do acknowledge your, your collaborators and your friends who contribute to the watches. You remember I told you before today uh, that there was a hidden benefit on being transparent, on opening the books. Yeah. And this is what happened. We opened the books. And so we suddenly, you know, it's like uh, uh, being, a, being a, in a bathing suit in a place where nobody's in a bathing suit. You feel terribly embarrassed in a minute. And then after it's okay, you know, it's okay. Everybody saw me, I got the wrong tie or I got the, the wrong jacket. That's okay. Forget it. And that's it. You know, it's the same thing. We became transparent and people acknowledged it around us. And they celebrated that. And we, we realized... That's super cool, in fact. And it was more than that. People became collaborative with us and actually taught us how to become collaborative. Most of the people speak about collaboration with having no clue about what is collaboration. What is collaboration means that the CEO that I am doesn't spend a week without saying sorry at one point of the week because he made a mistake, he didn't realize, and he's not here to hurt people. At the contrary, is here to make people feel good like okay we work together we're all around the same table and we are here to make something unique together and that's collaboration and there is no level like that or like this it's about having a drive it's not democracy okay because the person that i am also takes the responsibility of the decision but there is no pyramidal vision uh, that means that someone is more right than someone else no everybody can be right Today, I said in another meeting, the same, same thing, same guy, and we were four around the table. And I said, I'm happy. I'm wrong. That's cool. I love that. I love to be wrong. And see three people convinced this is right, because I feel we're certainly taking the right direction. 
And so in terms of directions, the company has taken a dramatically different direction since 2020 with the arrival of the Antarctic. And I just wanted to ask, how has it altered your volumes and your focus as a company? Because previously you were all in on dress watches, formal styles, not frumpy or too old fashioned, but not out and out sports watches. Is the Antarctic buyer a new Chapek customer or is, is he a, your original customer returning for a new model? So uh, you have to play with numbers here, huh? uh, Tim. So the question has to be asked the reverse. Most of our Kedeberg buyers yes. or customers, most of our antique customers have purchased uh, an Antarctic. Okay. So it's not a dramatic change, not at all. It's a natural evolution because they were the one asking that. You know, Francois Simon in Paris told me, Xavier, there is no way I can go on the beach with my kids and their kids because he's now a, a, an older guy than you and me, uh, with a, with a Kedeberg. I love the watch, but I just cannot go to the beach. Make me a watch, please. For next summer, make me a watch to go to, go to the beach. Uh, Patrick Berger was saying, please uh, do me a, a watch when I go have a beer and a, I go barbecuing with my friends. That was the inputs of these guys, you know? And, and we're thinking, you know, yeah, but how can we do that, etc.? And then the last input I think came from Madrid in a, in an event that was in a hotel where a, a guy made the, maybe the first library of of watches and told me, "Look, go for it. This is the sports segment is where you have to be." There is a big change. We're in 2017. That was really the beginning of the huge sport wave. Yes, and that's uh, that's how we decided to go there, and that was normal because. That's what people were waiting for. And we get there, and the success of the Antarctic is linked, I would say, to a limited number of elements. The first one is that when I was talking in events, where, where you know, we met in events together, you and me, and it's nice to chat, you know, it's nice to discuss with the people, oh, what are you collecting, why, etc. And I realized that. Most of the guys I was, was meeting were having a beautiful collection that they were only wearing in weekends because during the week they were uh, wearing another watch that was a sport watch where you actually cannot see the movement in it. And they were very frustrated, very frustrated because that they were horlogerie fans, lovers, and the watch they were wearing from Monday to Friday was not a tribute to that. It was a beautiful watch, but it was a sport watch with no autologerie element. And, and then we, when we looked at the few variations of that, that were uh, actually luxury sport watch, real autologerie sport watch, what we could tell from the movement was that most of the attention was, had, been given, had been given to the dial and to the case and to the bracelet. Fair enough. It's important. But you couldn't you couldn't have a real uh, feel of autologerie in most of these movements because of the finish that was giving, and because of the fact that they were very closed movement. You you could see eventually the escapement, and that was it. And that was the reason for us to conceive the Antarctic from a white sheet of, white sheet of paper, and start from scratch, imagining something that was closer to embroidery than 
closer to anything we knew. And, and when people saw it, they told us, wow, it's so beautiful. You should, you should put it on the dial. You should turn it around, you know? That's the way we should look at the Antarctic. And now, you know, what is our number one model for next year? <laughs> exactly. You, you, did, you did eventually put a movement on the dial. That's exactly what you did. And we did that for the, the Rattrapante, but not yet for the Antarctic. And so you understand what's coming, what's coming for, what's cooking for next year. If in in Watchers and Wonder, if we uh, if we make it, which is going to be very difficult, but because everything is delayed by by months. So you, you heard it here first, folks. If you're listening to this out in cyberspace on the podcast series, breaking news. Didn't expect that. About that movement. Now, in the past, you've gone to Chronode and you've ordered a movement. They'd supply a movement, but you worked with a couple of different watchmakers. Oh, no, we designed, we designed with them a movement that was our own movement. It's not exactly. Oh no, it's, it's not a stock Chronode movement. That's and, correct. And going, going on, good selecting from the rack. You know, I think. No, no, no. Give me, give me one hundred of these. No, no. These are all Chapek movements. You cannot buy them. You cannot find them. You cannot buy them. So the big change, though, appeared to be that you didn't, as far as I know, work with Chronode on the movement for the Antarctique, but you brought in individual watchmakers as collaborators on that. Yeah. Why focus Why focus on changing the sourcing and the design process for that movement? I mean, you mentioned that in that class of sports watch, the movement wasn't celebrated enough. But why did you change your internal sourcing practice uh, for the movement in that model? Because uh, I'm not a watchmaker and I'm not an engineer. And I was frustrated okay. to be limited by watchmakers and, in and engineers. So the best way to do it, if you really want to do something different, is to start from a blank sheet. And then when people tell you, no, no, we should never do that. because, And you say, why? Because we never did it. And that's not a reason. That's not a reason. Just if you have a technical reason, I'm ready to listen to it. But if you're not, then let's go freely. And that was the idea of, of going from starting from a blank sheet, really, which is what we did with uh, Daniel and build everything. And Adrian designing the bridge uh, like crazy until we get to something that we really felt, wow, that's that's Chapek. And it is a much more elaborate design in terms of the arrangement of the elements, the individual bridges that are freestanding for the drivetrain. It's almost as though the, the look of it was designed by artists before the engineers and the watchmakers had their say on the function. Uh, was there a large component of aesthetic planning for the way it would look before actually doing the engineering? In everything we do, in everything we do, we work and rework and rework around the aesthetics. We are always trying to find what is the definition of beauty today okay because beauty is evolving always beauty is something we cannot set and say that's it you know so we're always working and and one of the characteristics of chapek is is to spend so much time working on that and reworking and redesigning but we should not forget also that we know where we where we belong and and we belong into watchmaking and we belong to pocket watches. And we were buying pocket watches. We are buying pocket watches every year. And we were looking at these pocket watches and we we're like, hmm, 
there was something very cool in these old pocket watches that they had three bridges like that, you know, sometimes with an angle, sometimes move around. The, the quarter repeater have always a shape like a, a, like an ogive or like a woman or like, like a glass. And that is on the side, actually, you can like that. But there is always a shape that is interesting. And then I felt, well, we lost something in the in the process of evolution. Because before you could better see the movement than today in a in a in a modern normal three and watch, you know? And so, yeah, why that? You know, because we make savings. No, no, no. We don't make savings, we make watches. This is the, the point is not about looking at the saving. The, the point is about making a beautiful watch. And today we decided to, to do something between 10 and 20 in wide angles, uh, main, uh, on the next model, just for that reason. No matter the cost, this we are making watches, we're not making savings. And that's why people like our watches, because they can feel that in the way we did the decision. And so from these three little bridges, on the pocket watch, it became three bridges with an angle, and that angle was taken from the Faubourg de Cracovie, which is actually one of the watches that you, you like a lot, Tim. I remember yes. making a, a live uh, re recording. I was like, wow, how, how good is he? Uh, I'd love to be so good as he is when he, he speaks about a watch. Uh, very, very much. And I love what you did with the Aventurine dial this year. And before we jump to the new models that came this year, and there were quite a few new models and variants, I've got to ask, with the success of the Antarctique, um, Patek found itself in a similar position with the 5711, where it seemed like one model dominated the brand. Is is How do you prevent one dominant model from overshadowing Chapek as a whole? Because it's both a blessing and a curse to have something yeah. that popular in your lineup. Totally right. And that's that generates a big question on, on us. And that helped us actually find our way. And we made a decision. And this decision is Chapek is not a destination. Chapek is a journey. And the people who have been with us with the Kedeberg, with the Place Vendôme, today are buying the Antarctic. And tomorrow they will buy another model. And our our aim, what we what we hope to give to Autorlogerie as a tribute is to discover new planets in the galaxy of Autorlogerie and to, to make people enjoy a renewed watchmaking all the time with new experiences, new styles, new designs, new complications, new finishes. And this is, this is our mission. It's not to just become a destination watch, an Antarctic, and that's it. It's to continue and to take people, more and more people in the train and to bring them to, to new possibilities, new watches, new, uh, new memories. I want to circle around to something you mentioned earlier where you said that uh, you focus on owning more of the production process of the Antarctic than some of the other models. Um, you said that one's your baby. In what way do you exercise more control over that production process? So here... With the difference with uh, the other movement, uh, we made the design of every component. And it's more, we now bought the CNC machines to make some of the, co of the components uh, to reduce bottlenecks. And because we made the design on them, uh, we test them and we improve the watch all the time. 
we we're now maybe at the fifth uh, internal version of it you know because we always keep on improving and we found some we found actually recently we found an improvement that we could do uh on a simple component and we found it just thanks to, to a guy in thanks to a comment in the in the rolex forum on the page about chapek so you never know where it comes you know and some very often it comes from a problem and so you have to turn you know to take on you and accept it and say okay that's my opportunity to do better and this is why we prefer to control everything because here we have all the components in house everything every time there is a change it's immediate every morning at 8 45 the whole teams meets together and speak about what's happening at the bench there are, there are two places where there is truth the first place is in the market, in the street, where people wear and, and buy and leave the watches. And the second place where there is the truth is the workbench, is the watchmaker bench. And this is this is what this is what we're bringing together. The people like me coming with the, their experience of the market and the, the experience of what they read and, and see and, and the watchmakers with what they, they live every day at the bench. So in addition to being able to physically make more watches at the new manufacturer, Le Chaux de Fonds, uh, what kind of capabilities did you add in-house when you built the new factory? How many people work at Chapek now? What kind of machines and process uh, do you now control in-house? And I think people have an interest in that as well. So when I think when we met, on, or uh, let's say two years ago, Yes. We would. We were working last year. Actually, we were working in an eighty square meter atelier, uh, eight zero. So that's not a lot of of space. And we were, I think, we were six, seven people, eight people, maybe eight people working in the company, mostly most of them part time. So we would say we were maybe four or five full time equivalent, four cats, as I like to say, cuatro gatos, and. Uh, and uh, and then we are today we are twenty two, so it's a big change. And next year, I think in one year from now, we will be uh, between twenty five and twenty eight, something like this. Um, so uh, the biggest part of the growth was this year for sure. And uh, and before uh, we were just assembling and and casing and shaping. That's and shipping. That was it. Now we have. Uh, uh, reorganize everything so shipping is done outsourced because we've got a, a friend who's doing that for us fantastically and then we really focus on what is key for us which is the assembly and the testing and the control which makes that uh, the watch is great and the design of the future models and the development of the future models this is really where we are focused with a big part on the consumers on the customers on, on the watch lovers uh, so with, with Liana, Patrick, and Pierre, who, who are really focused on that. And so that's interesting to me because uh, the progression, I think I've heard an ultimate goal is 3,000 watches down the line. Do you foresee yourself growing to that level in the immediate future? Or is that going to be a much longer term goal? No, we have to. We, we don't have the choice. And that says you open up new markets. Yeah. You, you, yeah, as I told you, you know, I... I don't see how I could manage a company with with orders over two years. That I I don't get it. You know, I still think that in two years so many things can happen. You know, you just look at me what happened in in January. So he it's too far away down the line. And and I remember talking 
to uh, to Pierre Jacques, for instance, uh, talking about him about that when we were together in in Dubai Watch Week last year, and he said to me the same thing. You know, he said, you know, don't forget with the crisis, all your others will vanish. You know, be careful, be careful. So, what we want to do is we want to grow into the thousands and get uh, as fast as possible close to the three thousand, but we don't go, we don't grow. We don't plan to grow bigger than that. So it's one step that we have done this year. It was a very difficult year, uh, very challenging, very painful. But next year will be better and softer. We, we're going to go. We are now have put in place everything to, to be producing fast, and it's working now and producing well in the quality we want. And then probably 2024, 2025 will be another kind of jump, you know, because it's not linear. What I, well, I can tell you what I learned is that we feel that companies are, are linear in the growth. Now it's much more like you, you're in one level, you grow to a maximum, and then boom, you have to make a big jump. It's like a step or a stairway, you know, stairway to eternity. Yes. Uh, and it's uh, and it's it's like this, you know, it's really uh, uh, step by step. So so we made this big step that correspond to maybe the startup to the growth. Uh, stage, um, which is difficult, and we'll probably have to make in two or three years another stage, will, which will mean growing from the thousands something to the two, three thousands, probably the three thousand. So that's that's more or less what we uh, what we envision now for a, a time which will be probably in a couple of years. And now, as you make more watches and you open up a new factory and you expand the capability. You've now built quite a few timepieces since 2015, and eventually those watches will need service. Um, and I think a lot of folks believe that service is the worst part of the luxury watch ownership experience. So what are you doing to prepare for when these watches come back for parts, service, and care and feeding, as we like to say in the U.S.? When, do they, so, when they come back for love? Yeah. So first of all, the, the good thing when you start with a blank sheet of paper is that you have a, you have a quite a significant... Uh, margin for improvement. <laughs> so, the first the first collection, the Terra Deli, which I love, needed to be reworked very fast to be improved. We changed components, so probably all these watches have been once to, to back to a bench to be to be uh, modified and improved. Actually, uh, which is good because we make all the improvement for free. That's so that's obvious that with our culture. That's what we want to do always, you know. So whenever we improve and it's not changing the main plate or it's not changing a, an element that would require dismantling, changing everything, then we do it for free. And uh, and the second thing is um, because of that, we needed to open uh, a, uh, a service center. And so uh, we opened service center in the US, uh, in Dubai, uh, in uh, Japan, that were the three first with one which was in France. Right now, we found a solution this morning uh, where we actually have a better deal to actually bring back uh, to uh, La Chaux de Fonds all the ones in, in Europe. So now no more, no more France needed. Everything goes in Europe, goes to uh, to, to Switzerland. And and yes, we we the big pieces, we will bring them back from the US or from wherever they will be. But for the Antarctic, we can service them uh, uh, over there with no, with no problem. It's just a question of finding the right people, of finding 
watchmakers who love their job and love uh, to look at the at the SX H5 and say, oh, that's nice. I want I want to go into that and see how it works. That is very reassuring to know that regional service is being set up because I know that is one of the best ways to speed the process if the watch doesn't have to go back to Switzerland categorically. No. Um, so another question, I guess, since you are releasing more watches than ever, or at least more variants, I counted at least eight different variants or new models this year. Is this happening because you've taken more design in-house now and you can turn around a new design faster? Because this was a big year for variant releases, the Chronograph, the Antarctique, um, many different options, including the original Berg dial variations, and a lot of nice things. Are these all the fruits of your new design capability? No, it's the fruit of generosity. I cannot stop. I've got five kids, you know, it's the same thing. <laughs> I, it's like this, you know, got always a new idea. And it's, it's even more than that. A lot of these ideas are not even coming from me. They're coming from other watch lovers. They come to us and they say, can we do a bespoke piece like this? And then we start talking, oh, yes. And like that. And then out of one idea, we get two ideas. So we say, okay, we do your piece and we do our piece. And that's it. And... Uh, and that's the way it, uh, it progresses. So I would say probably the pandemic was a moment of, of slowing down, focusing, and a lot of ideas have been cooking then because our, our brain cannot stop. You know, you, you cannot stop thinking and creating if you, uh, if you have ideas. And, uh, and so they took place this year, uh, 2022. That's, that's clear. Uh, but they were the fruit of long, long years of, of preceding months of, re of reflection. And the other thing is that, yes, we have uh, the design now partially in-house, but we'll keep also out-house to have more ideas. So we, we kill ourselves in the ideas. But I, I've got now a managing committee, which I've asked to, uh, to edit all my ideas and just select less than 10 every year. So it's tough, actually. It's very painful. But they, they, this when it's a product meeting, they're like, okay, we're gonna cut the the models of Xavier down to a, to a less number, to the smallest number. Again, to our listeners, definitely check out some of the new Faubourg de Cracovie chronograph variants this year. Uh, Blue California dial, purple panda, aventurine, all very attractive. If you like what Moser does with dials, you'll love what Chapek is doing with dials as well. But you also mentioned something in the middle of that. You you talked about some of these dials and designs starting as bespoke orders. Do you do custom and bespoke orders for clients? We did that in the beginning. I mean, at the beginning, when you have one client, you're like, oh, thank you, you know, dear Mr. Client, uh, thank you for loving us already. What can we do for you? And then, you know, well, we were the, the, the fruit of all the no of the other big companies who were saying, no, we cannot do it. And we know now why they were saying no. Now that we have grown, it's much more difficult to continue to do that. So we have decided to continue because that was part of our identity and our success. And it's part of, it has also a hidden benefit, which is everything you learn when you work with very closely with, with watch collectors. But uh, we, so we decided to keep it, but we have kept it at the same number as before. So four or five pieces per year that we are we're doing bespoke. Um, and we have three levels. One is personality, personalization. 
So it's really adapting something existing. Customization, which means I'm going to transform something existing. And then bespoke, I'm starting from scratch. What can we do? Okay, that's that's the three level we do. And so we have decided to, to keep it under limits because this is taking a lot of resources from the company. Uh, but we decided to keep it anyway because that was part of, of who we are today as Chapek. And, uh, and that's what Chapek was doing himself. All his watches were different. All his watches corresponded to the wish of a client, but they were all Chapek. And you could tell that they were Chapek in the way they were done. So it's a mix between what is Chapek and what the client dreams of. So now I've seen a pattern among high-end independent watch brands that have long waiting lists and a lot of demand um, where we've seen Stepan Sarpaneva create the SUF brand, which is below Sarpaneva, but higher volume. Hajime Aseoka of Japan has decided that he can't make enough high-end watches, so he launches Corona Tokyo, a more accessible watch in higher volume. Uh, and Max Booser has toyed with this idea with his Mad One series. Have you ever thought of creating a sub-brand of Chapek that's easier to deliver in large numbers while people wait for the big pieces? It's funny, we were talking about that two days ago. I've, I will reserve my answer to that. I, I would say, as a starting point, I'm not completely convinced. Okay. I also, also, I also think I have enough work right now. You have, you know, these, these people you've cited, they have been working in, in the field and growing for more than eight years. We know for us, it's, it's really eight years that we are here. And, uh, well, uh, it's going to be nine, but I think we need at least 10 years to be, to be stable again, you know, to, to have gone to, to a moment where we, we know we control, uh, it's, we're very young still, so I would say it's too young for us, too 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 early for us. It would be probably a mistake. Um, I'm not against, but I'm not in favor either. Uh, that's why I say I reserve my my opinion on that. Having said this, I'm not saying they didn't do it well. Huh? Uh, when you see what Max has done, it's great. Where Ajimi is the same thing. I mean, these are great uh, evolution of of the. Of the brand i don't know if it's i don't know yet let me let me think about it let me okay. let me get my mind clear on that like they say in the movies to be continued exactly and and i like i like like i like to say what i don't know i just say i don't know that's fair that's fair um it revealing though I'm, I'm happy i asked that question so now folks who want to learn more about the brand uh do you work exclusively through dealers if people want to find you or do you sell direct or do you do both we do both we we you know we came to uh basel world in march 2016 uh, there is a with a heart full of hope and we're thinking we're gonna sell five watches to 15 uh 15 guys, 15 retailers in the world, that will be 75 watches. With 75 watches, we are on track. We're off, you know, not making many, uh, maybe uh, money, but uh, break even, everything is good. And uh, we sold one watch. 
It was a crisis. Everybody was coming to Chapek to see the guys who were going to die. You know, there was some kind of uh, curiosity, <laughs> insane curiosity about, about the next guys on the Echafaud who were going to, to die. But so everybody was visiting, but nobody was placing an order. And so after that, you know, you 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 decide, you think, you know, okay, my plan was not good, but I'm a startup. So what's what's key for a startup is to be capable to invent your way. And actually, as I said at the beginning, you can only succeed if you trace your own way. And if you do exactly maybe the opposite of what the books are saying. And so we uh, we decided to first focus on our ambassadors, natural ambassadors who were our shareholders. So we were crowdfunded. These guys were the potential clients. So we went to them and said, okay, let's do an operation of, of, uh, of uh, uh, ordering your watch. And that's how we started to do bespoke watches, by the way, because some of them wanted to have bespoke watches. And that started to fuel, to fuel the demand for the company. Then we did a women watch because these guys were married and uh, we were happy to make a gift for, for them to their watch, to their wife. And then Japan came in. Japan was really the first uh, serious retail market for us. And that was on July 23rd. You know, I even remember the date because it was still not enough with the shareholder. Uh, but with with uh, we were about 40 watches ordered with all the shareholders. And then Japan came in and that was 13 watches, 53 watches. I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because... Now we're talking about hundreds of thousands of watches. And now at that stage, you know, every watch was a lifesaver, you know. And in the end, we finished the year with 88 watches ordered. And that was the game changer for us. And we made that by selling direct mostly, but also by selling with retailers. And we decided that this mix has come to us that saved us. We're not going to change it. And when retailers ask us to stop, we just say, sorry, we're not a brand for you. And 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 they perfectly understand. They know we need to have some direct sales because our margin is more reduced, uh, especially not only us, most of the brands in autologerie have reduced margin. So uh, we need to sell direct to ensure to have a, a larger margin. It's just a matter of share. And here, they also understand the way we work. And we always give the biggest share to the retailers. And so this is some for them a message that they understand as, okay, we are really important for you. Thank you. Let's work as partner. And so the final question I have for you is, which Chapek watch do you choose to wear? What is your personal watch? So, well, I change, of course, you know, yeah, I have to change. Right now I'm wearing uh, uh, the Rattrapante. And uh, it was because uh, there was an event and uh, and I, I couldn't have one because we were really having so much demand that I was always, uh, you know, giving away the first uh, one. But then I could have that one and I I love it. I really love it. It's, uh, it's the problem is really, well, it's a problem or it's a chance, you know, you, you should be uh, faithful to your partner, but then for the watch, you can change. That's All good. Right. <laughs> So, so, so then you, uh, you, uh, yeah, it's it's a beautiful watch. Especially what is great is that it's a massive watch that feels like a completely normal watch on your wrist. You forget it, and then you look at it and say, "Wow, it's incredible!" So it's a shock every time you look you look at the time. So 
this is also, I would say, uh, part of the work that is required when you do well, which is to rework everything, even the angle in which it will fall on your wrist. We, we, we work five degrees by five degrees to find the right one. Yes, it's really, it's not, uh, you know, it's a lot of work to make it right. Oh, you should, you should certainly enjoy the fruits of the labor, which you definitely put in. You, Xavier, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you on the web if they want to learn more? Chapek.com. Chapek, C-Z-L-P-E-K. Charlie, Zulu, Alpha, Papa, Eko, Kilo. For the one who, who like uh, the NATO language. And then they're going to say, what did you say? Charlie, Zulu, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, and because uh, Xavier is a, a humble man, I'm also going to mention that they have almost 40,000 followers on Instagram where you can follow them as Chapek Genev. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye, team.